So I've, oh, so I've just been sitting here for the last few minutes, and the phrase that keeps coming to mind is, dear ones. Hello, dear ones. <laughs> That's what you are. And I'm just wondering, without you having to answer, just how your hearts are this evening. Because I imagine that uh, many of you are feeling a lot of openness, a settling in the heart. And in the mind, and some of you, uh, a tenderness. Some of you, the war continues. <laughs> so, however you are this evening, this is a poem for you. This is by John O'Donohue, who is just a lovely um, Irish poet and author. This is called Benacht. There's a word in here that's um, Celtic. Uh, the word is kurak. And this is a, uh, a small, round, uh, woven boat um, uh, that's usually paddled. So it's almost like a basket. It looks like a floating basket, but it's quite large and can fit several uh, people in it. So kurak, that's what that means. Benacht, this is meaning blessings. On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. And when your eyes freeze behind the gray window and the ghost of lost gets into you, may a flock of colors indigo red, green, and azul blue come to awaken in you a meadow of delight. When the canvas frays in the curric of thought and the strain in the stain of ocean blackens beneath you, may there come across the water a path of yellow moonlight to bring you safely home. May the nourishment of the earth be yours May the clarity of light be yours. May the fluency of the ocean be yours. May the protection of the ancestors be yours. And so may a slow wind work these words of love around you, an invisible cloak to mind your life. Isn't that beautiful? So... It's just a, another blessing for, for all of us to take in because um, we're going through these peaks and these valleys. I think Aaron today in, in the instructional set was talking about how, you know, we're, we're doing this. And it's not necessarily going to go like this, this upward trajectory of progress in uh, feeling good in, in practice as you go along. It's, I know that's disappointing. But this is how it is. And so some of you are just kind of, it's just these waves of ups and downs. And then other of you don't even relate to that because you're just like, you know, these deep valleys and these tall, high peaks. And then others of you just feel like you just... <laughs> You're just stuck somewhere in that valley trying to figure out how to get back up. Yeah, this is just normal. This is what we do here on retreat and in life. You know, this is just a condensed 
experience, really. This is how it is outside of here. We forget that when we're inside here. We just, we couldn't wait to get here. <laughs> Remember that? And then there's these moments where we think, oh, it was so much better out there. You know, so it's pretty, pretty wild. So in this practice, what you're being asked to do in, in many different ways, you've had lots of different instructions, but in all the instructions, what you're being asked to do is to stay with, to stay with the experience that's here, whether it's climbing up that peak or, you know, way down, slumped in the valley. Wherever you are, the most important thing is that you're staying with it. A phrase that I've been using for myself for the last few weeks as the, the valleys and the peaks seem to be um, uh, more intensified, which uh, is what's going on in our country right now. Uh, the phrase that has been uh, coming up to my mind and has really helped me is stay steady. And every now and, and then I just whisper that to myself, just stay steady, stay steady. And I was thinking, when I was planning on telling you that, I started thinking about, well, what does that even mean? Stay steady. It sounds like something you say to a horse that's about to be spooked and, and buck and run away. Or um, the other image I had was uh, from Braveheart, as they're all lined up and they're ready to go to battle. And, you know, stay steady. <laughs> but it's kind of like that, isn't it? It's, it's stay steady. Uh, Stay with it. Stay right here. It's not so easy to do sometimes. And that steady, it's not um, stay steady, put on a smile, and look the part of calm and, and togetherness. Stay steady is, is pointing to something much deeper. Because, of course, uh, not being with what's actually going on and putting on the smile and, and the act of everything's okay when, when it's not, um, that, just, that just doesn't work for very long, does it? That always comes back. We can't stay steady, actually, uh, when we are practicing in that way. It gets back to us eventually. So stay steady is pointing to something much deeper, it's, it's pointing to this stillness that is uh, here already. It's pointing to a stillness um, that is the knower, that which is seeing and observing and watching all of this. And maybe some of you have experienced this, where there can be all kinds of stuff going on. Um, you know, maybe it's just uh, the external experience. Um, someone in group today uh, compared uh, Spirit Rock to Manhattan. <laughs> just there's a lot of us here, <laughs> a lot of coming and going. It feels that way in the, on the way into the bathroom sometimes as you're <laughs> trying to navigate each other. So maybe it's, um, it's, it's just feeling like there's a lot going on. Or maybe it's wor work in the kitchen, those of you working in the kitchen or... Um, just going into the dining room, suddenly there's more activity and we're so sensitive right now. And so there's all this outside stimulus happening, but that which can be present with it 
can be steady, is clear, is quiet. And then sometimes it's stuff that's going on internally. It has nothing to do with what's going on outside of us. Um, it's, it's, you know, our emotions, our, our thoughts, our body pain, all this stuff that's, you know, it can feel like a tsunami of experience coming and we're trying to work with it. But that which is actually paying attention to it, that which knows it, that is steady. That can be steady. This is from the suttas. As in the ocean's midmost depth, no wave is born, but all is still. So let the practitioners be still, be motionless, and nowhere should they swell. This is pointing to that stillness. I'm not talking about your physical stillness. It's not saying, let the practitioners be still, don't move a muscle. No, that's not what he's, he's talking about. This is something much deeper than that, that midmost depth. Can we touch into that? In fact, let's play around f- with it for just a moment. Some of you might get a hit of, of what this actually feels like. And I'm sure even more of you have experienced this more naturally just as you, you go on with practice. But just right now, uh, go inside. If you'd like to close your eyes to help you do that, you can. And find something that's happening in the body. It doesn't have to be still. It can be the movement of the breath. It can be uh, maybe some uh, restlessness. It can be um, some agitation. You know, you don't have to go looking for trouble. (laughs) But just see what's here. Find something. And then notice that which is knowing it that which is actually able to observe it. See if you can turn your attention to that. This is tricky, but some of you might be able to get a hit of this. And it feels, that, that which is knowing is quite quiet. It's not moved. There's no swell of reactivity there. It's just present with it. And then for those of you who have a lot going on internally and this idea of there being some kind of internal stillness that doesn't resonate at all, that's okay. You can see if you can feel the stillness outside of yourself. That there's this infinite space that actually is holding all of us here. Maybe you can touch into that a little bit. And, and that is still. That larger, maybe it feels like a larger knowing that we're just in that ocean of stillness. So whether you can feel that uh, experience internally more or have more of a a sense of it externally being held larger. They're the same thing. 
Interestingly, the only thing that separates us uh, is this uh, structure, this housing that we've created that we call me, that makes the divide from internal and external. It's the same thing. So there are many obstacles in this practice. Many obstacles to this ability to just stay with, stay steady. Uh, And we've encountered a lot of them in the last few days. There are five in particular that I'm going to talk about this evening. And these are the hindrances. I have a feeling that many of you have heard the hindrance talk. (laughs) But isn't it amazing how we really need to hear it every time? (laughs) Because this is what we're working with. We are strengthening the stillness or our ability to be steady in that stillness with Uh, the tsunami of experience. And within that training that we have undertaken, um, there are these, these are the obstacles. So these are the five classical ones. Before I go into them, um, I was doing a little reading, uh, I usually do before I give a talk on a subject, and there's this really beautiful um, uh, translation and commentary um, by uh, Nyana Pinika Tara. I hope I'm saying the name right. But anyway, he says that, um, he, this is what he says is the opening to this commentary about the, four, the five hindrances. Unshakable deliverance of the mind is the highest goal in the Buddhist doctrine. Here, deliverance means freeing of the mind from all limitations, fetters, and bonds that tie it to the wheel of suffering. The wheel of suffering. We've seen that too. We just keep jumping on that wheel. We think we're done with that one thing and then it comes right back, right? So that's what we're doing. This is the highest goal. And so what is getting in the way of that, or not really in the way, but just what are the obstacles that we encounter um, as we take this path? So the first one is desire, or sense desire. Wanting. Wanting something that isn't actually here right now. Wanting this moment to be something other than it actually is. So um, I want to do something with you on this. Uh, This is a classic James Barras. So what I'd like you to do is take your hand and reach it forward just a little bit. I want you to imagine that in front of you is the thing that you want so badly as you're here on retreat. This is the thing that's going to make it all okay 
This is the thing that's going to give you the retreat you came to have. And it's just outside of your reach. So you're going to have to lean forward a little bit. And you're going to have to, like, really go for it. I mean, really, really go for it. Keep going. Try your hardest. It's right there. It's just beyond your fingertips. It is that item that you thought you might bring and you didn't, and now you wish you had. This retreat would be so much better if I had that one thing that I left at home. Um, This is just wanting a little bit more dessert. Come on, Spirit Rock Kitchen. Just, you know, do me a solid. Just like a little bit of chocolate or something. Give me something. This is uh, our loved ones who we dearly miss. This is the love that we wish so deeply to have from that one person. This is the acceptance that we need for ourselves. This is the retreat that we thought we were here to have. You feel this, right? It's painful. And then some of you have already sat back. If you sit back and you stop the reaching, the wanting, there's some sadness in that too sometimes, right? We have to let go of those things that we think mean so much to us. They're really dear to us, some of these things. And we've spent a lot of energy inside retreat and outside of retreat trying to obtain them. But this is suffering. This is suffering. And you can feel as you come back and back to that stillness and that resting in, no, this is what's happening. This is what I have, is just this in this moment. Then there's something to be with. You'll never be with this. It will always be just at the beyond your reach. It'll never quite be satisfying. Even if you think you get it, then it's just the other hand reaches out. Oh, it could be just a little bit better. And this is the cycle of, of dukkha that we find ourselves on. Hmm. It's a lot of energy. So bringing, um, bringing attention, the, the wrong type of attention to this, uh, to this greed, this wanting, is what actually nourishes more greed and wanting, this desire. So when we believe in that desire being what's going to make us happy again or what's going to make everything in this moment all right, when we believe in that, um, it feeds it. It gets stronger. And with each of these hindrances, the more we, we believe in the delusion of each of these hindrances, it actually nourishes it. It likes it. You know, it actually um, will get stronger and build and pervade. And, and we've noticed that, I'm sure. And so what we do is counteract instead. We let go. 
we start to see clearer. We start to name it for what it is. Oh, this is desire. Oh, this is wanting. Oftentimes, uh, oftentimes with wanting comes aversion. We want this and we don't want that. They often come together. If I had a little bit more of this and a lot less of this, that a lot less of this, that is aversion. So where uh, wanting might be like this, you can imagine aversion is just, oh, <laughs> get rid of it. Sometimes it comes up as, oh, I can fix this. Any fixers in here? <laughs> yeah, I can fix this. I got this. I'll make it all different. <laughs> yeah, can spend a lot of time doing that. Yeah, aversion. This is also can be ill will. It can be hatred. This also is nourished by our obsession with it. Have you noticed this with your aversion that we get obsessed by the things we're averse to? Like we can't stop thinking about it. Oh my God, if that person would just stop making that coughing sound. And then we're thinking about when they're not even there. Oh, that person and their coughing sound. That is the worst. That is the worst. And we just can't, you know. Or maybe there was a conversation that you had before you came in here and you're just replaying it. Oh, I should have said this. And I could have said, when I'm out of here with all the meta in my heart, I'm going to just, you know. And we just, we obsess we get obsessed with our aversions. There's something in us that, in a, in a n- not the most healthy way, but we delight in them a little bit. If you were talking, you'll see this in, in, you know, outside of retreat, we can bond with people over our aversions, right? We can all get together and have an aversive party. It's great. We can really um, sometimes feel even an uplift in them. We feel very... Uh, uh, we, f- we feel like, you know, we're right. <laughs> we're right. This shouldn't be this way. It's ridiculous. So one of the ways to counteract our version is metta. And we've talked about this the power of metta. So if aversion is this ill will, um, hatred, disgust, not wanting, um, even the fix-it, it's metta, this feeling of instead of, let's just get rid of this or repackage it, just move it to the side, it's actually taking it and, and becoming steady with it. It's coming, coming to meet it. And the only way we can do that is we can't do it with aversion. You can't meet aversion with aversion. I bet some of you have tried unsuccessfully. We have to, the only way we can meet it is with kind heart. A heart that can be relaxed with it. A heart that can um, be tender with it and understanding even. 
You know what's so amazing about these hindrances that I find over and over again, I come in contact with this in my own practice, and I'm just um, just moved by it every time, is that these hindrances, they're, they're a protector. They're old. You know, they're, they're outdated. Uh, but they're, they're operating in a way to protect us. We're averse to something because we don't want to feel pain. We don't want to feel discomfort. That's reasonable. When you think of it in that way, oh, this is just that, that small sense of self that's wanting more comfort, a little more love, a little more, um, you know, warmth. That's all it is. I'm just uncomfortable. It's my, my mind's way of trying to search for comfort. Same thing with the, the wanting. It's just protecting. That's sweet. You know, we can really get judgmental around the hindrances when they come up. Oh my God, it's that one again. But actually, if we can build a relationship with it that understands that, oh, it's just my unskillful mind. It's just trying to protect me. Oh, that is just, that's sweet. We can have compassion suddenly for ourselves uh, when we hold it in this way. So metta with aversion. I, I know I said metta is a powerful practice like five times the other night, but it really is. Here, this is from the Diga Nikaya, this, from the suttas. It says, put away all hindrances. Let your mind, full of love, pervade one quarter of the world. And so too, the second quarter. And so the third, and so the fourth. And thus the whole wide world, above, below, around, and everywhere, all together, continue to pervade with love-filled thought, abounding, sublime, beyond measure, free from hatred and ill will. That's possible. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that if we were all engaged in that practice as opposed to pushing away, and I want, I want. It'd be a really different world, wouldn't it? So we start here, right? We're changing our world here. The next one, or the next two, um, also, interestingly, often come together. Actually, some of these come all together like all together. <laughs> um, there's, there, you know, the Buddha, he taught in these lists, right? And I think it was really so that we could remember these things, these concepts. These are all just concepts, ways of, of thinking about um, the way things are. But there's nothing linear about any of this. You know, I'm going one, two, three, four, five, but there's nothing linear about any of it, of any of it. So, um, you know, sometimes they come in these interesting packages that uh, we weren't expecting. Sometimes they all come together. It's called a hindrance attack. Some of you have had them. And some of them, some of you, that's something to look forward to. (laughs) Yeah, so sometimes these next two come together. Uh, uh, So there's sloth and torpor. It's kind of a weird way of just saying, um, uh, feeling sleepy, uh, sometimes this can be a real 
disinterest, kind of a laziness. And then um, uh, restlessness. <laughs> and then restlessness, which really has kind of the opposite energy, but somehow they go together. So maybe you've noticed this. If you're experiencing a lot of restlessness and then you just go and pass out in your room <laughs> or you just kind of give up because it's just like the energy. It's just, I just can't sit with it. I'm just going to go, you know, go to my room and do whatever it is that you guys do in your room. I just, (laughs) we'll just end it there. (laughs) Yeah. So these come together, together often. Um, Sloth and torpor, this, what nourishes sloth and torpor is, is giving in. And that's hard because it's just that, like, it's so reasonable. Oh, just go take a nap. Just go sit this one out. You don't have to do it. You've been practicing so well all day. You deserve a break. You deserve a break today. <laughs> you know? It just sounds so Right? So giving in to sloth and torpor, that's, that's what makes it uh, uh, be nourished. That's what feeds it. And I've noticed this on retreat where, you know, I'm just, you know, going along with my practice, going along, and then one day I decide, you know, I think I'm going to start napping during this sit. Or, or no, I don't decide I'm going to nap during this sit ongoingly. But just today, I just feel like I want, I, I just feel like I want to lay down and have a nap during this sit. And that's fine. But then the next day comes. Oh, that nap was really nice. You know, I think it kind of supported me. <laughs> I think I'm going to try that again. That seems wise. That seems really wise. I'm going to go do that. And then the next day comes, and it's just, now it's just, I have to have that nap. I just, I can't get through the day without this nap. Even though the days leading before all this nonsense I was not napping and doing just fine. The other thing you'll notice if you sleep too much, you're just groggy. Have you done that where, oh, it's the worst, where you're, you're really concentrated and then you go take that nap after lunch and you get up and you just kind of groggy and cloudy and the concentration is, is kind of gone. Um, the, interestingly enough, uh, with lunch, the Buddha talks quite a bit about sloth and torpor relating it to overeating, um, which I know we've, we've done nicely here at Spirit Rock in that the, the last meal is, you know, it's the soup and salad. That's purposeful for this reason. Um, but the lunch, you, you know, that's, that's a lot to overcome. Um, there's a lot of really good food down there. And so what I tend to see and what I've participated in is just... You know, <laughs> we just pile it on a plate of food that we would never eat at home, but it's just so good here and it's buffet style. <laughs> so, you know, this is something to notice that when we eat too much, this is the Buddha really felt, seemed to feel really strongly about this. In fact, his monks, they didn't eat past 12. And when you go to monasteries, you don't eat past 12. Um, and that is to uh, support more energy, more practice. So it's just something um, to consider, something to look at.
Um, he gave a lot of ways for us to work with sloth and torpor when we're here in the hall and you're getting the nods. And um, uh, uh, there's just there's some different things that you can do. So counterbalancing, uh, it's bringing in energy. You can open your eyes. These were some of his instructions. Bring in the light. Be able to see the light. Bring, open your eyes. You can change your posture. So you might stand. Um, you might move to a chair. Um, uh, go outside. Get some fresh air. Move your location. Lots of different things. There's, uh, um, I don't know if it's actually a teaching or if it's more a fable of the Buddha rubbing his earlobes um, to stay awake. So that is something you could try. But, um, yeah, bringing in more energy. Seems so simple, but when we're in it, it's just we give up. <laughs> it's just, oh, well, I'm sleepy. That's it. I can't sit with this. That's, it's over. And that's just not true, actually. We can bring our attention to it. Oh, this is my energy level. What do I need to do right now to help myself? What do I need to do to, to bring it back up? But we forget. We forget so easily. Another way he says um, to overcome sloth and torpor, and I think this is more of the laziness side, is to contemplate um, death and impermanence. So he says that today the effort should be the effort should be made. Who knows if tomorrow death will come? So to seriously consider that as a contemplation when you're feeling like eh. I don't know. I don't know if I want to go in right now. Um, Yeah, we're here right now. This is it. This is it. This is the time to practice. You've made a lot of effort to get here. Make it count. Make it count. Restlessness. One of the things that helps with restlessness is that investigation. So Aaron led us through rain. Uh, this is a, a great way to, to work with restlessness. Bringing more attention to what's actually happening in the moment. And then actually refining that and finding something that you can really rest your attention on. So the breath, you know, this is one of the reasons we use the breath or the body. Um, something concrete that we can really feel and bring our attention there and see if we can just relax into the feeling of that. That breathing in, breathing out. I don't remember if it's been talked about, but even using um, noting so as we breathe in, saying in our mind, breathing in. As we breathe out, breathing out. In this uh, continuity and uh, collected attention, the steadiness that comes from that can help a lot with um, our restlessness. The other thing I think that really helps is patience. When we're really restless, I think especially over a number of days or a number of sits, uh, it's so frustrating It's just so frustrating. The body doesn't want to be where it is. The mind doesn't want to be where you want to put it. It's really frustrating, and we can get discouraged really quickly. And so the practice of patience. So even just remembering, oh, just be steady. Be patient. Be patient. 
This is from Sylvia Borstein. I love this quote. I've been using it a lot lately. Patience is more the moment-to-moment adjustment to unpleasant circumstances, done in knowledge that they cannot be other. This is wisdom. So we're just adjusting. And it's true, you know, when we're restless, when we are sleepy, it's uncomfortable. And instead of trying to avoid it, trying to, you know, get rid of it, um, give in to it, we're just adjusting, adjusting our attitude, adjusting the way that we pay attention to it, whatever we need to do to just stay, adjusting our heart. We need to adjust our heart, bring in our heart more and more to the practice to really feel the, the kindness that we can bring. It's in all of us, this capacity. It's our human uh, capacity to just be in kindness with whatever is present. I know that uh, with restlessness also, there can be the pre-restlessness to restlessness. So we, we already have anticipated that this will be a restless sit. Have you felt this, the anxiety as you walk towards the door of the meditation hall? Uh, I've been hearing a little bit of this um, uh, lately, that uh, even before coming to sit, just the anticipation of what's... Uh, going to be here when you, when you sit down and close your eyes, that uh, uh, there's this already anticipatory restlessness. Watch for that. It's, it's just restlessness too. It's just restlessness. In fact, when working with all the hindrances, uh, they're just hindrances. They're just hindrances. When we're in it, and we're overwhelmed by them, they feel like they're just going to smother us. We feel smothered, clobbered, um, overtaken. You know, we're waving the white flag. They're just hindrances. If you remember nothing else from this talk... (laughs) The next time one appears and you see it, oh, it's just restlessness. It's just aversion. We take it so personally, it's not personal. It's just a hindrance. They're not so big and bad as you think. The part that's still and knows is so much deeper and wiser and full, and can hold all of those pesky little hindrances. They're nothing. They're just hindrances. It's not a big deal. In fact, when we see them and we hold them in that way, they really are no longer a hindrance. When we can be present with it, and be there with it, and not be reactive to it, not be trying to push them away, or let, you know, watch for this one. We sit down, there's the hindrance, I'm just going to, I'm going to really be with it so I can get rid of that. <laughs> Watch for that. Aversion. <laughs> yeah. It's just hindrance. When they're just hindrances, they're no longer a hindrance. So the last one is doubt. Ooh, I have a really special relationship with doubt. 
Um, so all of these actually have similes in the, in the suttas. Uh, the Buddha often talked in metaphor and simile. So the simile that he offers for um, the, the hindrances all have to do with water, a bowl of water. And the water, depending on what the hindrance is, is clouded in some way. You can't see through um, to, to the answer of how to, how to come out of that hindrance. So like greed is all these beautiful dyes that are, are in the water, and you're just kind of taken by that, and you can't see through to what is actually here. There's no clarity. Aversion is seething, bubbling, boiling water. Can't see through. Um, sloth and torpor, I think, is uh, uh, like algae or moss or something like that, some kind of plant life that's just like mucky. I think of like a swamp and you can't see through. Restlessness, I think, is wind over the water. So you get it, right? Doubt is really interesting to me because it's exactly how I uh, first encountered really strong doubt. And that is that it's a bowl of water that is cloudy. It's, it's, it's foggy. You can't see through. So not only that, but it's in a dark room. <laughs> doubt in its very nature is so hard to see to even realize, oh, this is just doubt. It's really tricky. It's a really tricky hindrance to know that you're actually in doubt. Because it does, it, the stories of doubt, they're so rational sounding. They're so rational sounding. I'll tell you a personal story of my, my um, experience with doubt. Which doubt is something that I work with on a regular basis. I, I've, we are good friends at this point. <laughs> but there was a time where that was not so. And there are moments where that's not so still. But there was a time where it was really not so. And I was on a retreat. Uh, and I had been going through some pretty big um, upheavals in my spiritual practice. And uh, I was going through this experience of just complete disgust intense aversion and I was practicing on the east coast at a retreat center there and there you know it was I think it was maybe November I think it was November I think I was there for Thanksgiving actually and I was there for the month silent retreat and I love this place this is the forest refuge favorite place to practice um just the whole the whole way they they do the schedule and everything I love going there so I'm there, and um, I was so excited to get there. And then I got there, and I was so averse to everything. I mean, everything. There was like a little clump of snow. There was a big snowstorm before I got there. I wasn't even there for the snowstorm, but there was just a little bit of snow, you know, the frozen parts that stuck and didn't melt all the way. Oh, I hated that. <laughs> the different smells as I'm walking through the hallways, it's all indoors. I hated it. The food, there was something about it. It was just like, oh, God, oatmeal again. Oh, my God. I'm not going to make it. 
the people that were there, the teachers whom I knew and adored, I hated their teachings. I was just like this big knot of aversion. It was so intense. And aversion isn't always my go-to. So this was like really bizarre and I didn't know what was going on. And I finally, I think it was like week three, okay? <laughs> Let's put it into some perspective. Week three of this going on and just staying with it. I was staying, staying as steady as I could. But I'm in an interview, a, a practice discussion, one-on-one with a teacher who I had so much aversion to. And she's, t- you know, we're talking and I'm just like, you know, I just, I don't feel like, I just feel like I don't have any faith in this anymore. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. And she's listening to me. And at some point she interrupts and says, you know, Kate, this really sounds like doubt. And I was like, no, I don't think so. (laughs) I couldn't even hear that. (laughs) So aversive. I've apologized to her later. (laughs) So I left in a huff and I'm now doing walking and I'm kind of digesting it, and I'm walking really fast and in the walking hall. And then all of a sudden, I ask myself, oh, God, is this doubt? And it was like a regurgitation of, yes, this is doubt. This is doubt in the teachings. This is doubt in this place. This is doubt in these teachers. This is doubt in my capacity. This is doubt in the many years that I've spent doing this practice. And it just, and I'm, I'm weeping at this point. And I think I was still walking. I was very dedicated. <laughs> and, um, but just, oh, it was just this release of actually finally seeing and being with this is what's going on under all that restlessness and aversion. Oh, God, it's doubt. I couldn't see it. It was so hidden to me. It was probably very obvious to the teachers that I was working with. They were probably just waiting for this moment. But I couldn't see it because I was just in it, you know? And then there it was. Oh, it's just doubt. Oh, it was such a relief. It was such a relief. And I've experienced doubt since, but I know it so well now that when I see it, it's just, oh, there it is. It's just doubt. All right, there we are. I know what to do with you. And so with doubt, it is. It's just getting to know it. Getting to know it. Sometimes also taking refuge Finding something that you can have faith in, something that you can uh, rest in that's bigger than you, you know, something that's just bigger than the, the concerns, the small, you know, they don't, they're not small when you're in it, but really in the scheme of things, the small things that you're having doubt about. Taking refuge, really knowing it. This is how you work with doubt. It's just doubt. Oh... I'm running out of time. That's okay. I don't really have much to say after that. I will say one more thing because someone in the interviews reminded me of this and it's so true. Thank you for your wisdom today. When working with the hindrances, it's really important to notice when they're not present as well. 
So there's times when they're here, but there's times when they're not. So especially that one that I've talked about that you're just like, yes, that one. Notice when it's not here, when you are free of it. Delight in that moment. Just, you don't need, don't try to, you know, get all, you know, wanting about it and try and keep it. Let it just be there and have its life. It's going to come and it's going to go. But to really get to know those times as well, what does that feel like? Remember them. Oh yeah, there's that too. There's aversion and then there's non-aversion. There's greed and then there's non-greed. There's restlessness and then there's non-restlessness. They all exist in the larger picture of our experience here. They always all exist. Okay. Why don't we just sit for a moment? I'm going to read this poem back to you again as you do sit. Maybe the meaning of it will be take kind of a different light. On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. And when your eyes freeze behind the the gray window and the ghost of lost gets into you, may a flock of colors, indigo, red, green, and azure blue, come to awaken in you a meadow of delight. When the canvas frays and the curruck of thought and the stain of the ocean blackens beneath you, may there come across the waters a path of yellow moonlight to bring you safely home. May the nourishment of the earth be yours. May the clarity of light be yours. May the fluency of the ocean be yours. May the protection of the ancestors be yours. And so may a slow wind work these words of love around you, an invisible cloak to mind your life. Thank you for your attention.